I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. This is What's Next, and today we are going to talk about incarceration in New York State, specifically a campaign or an organization called RAPP, R-A-P-P, Release Aging People in Prison. With us, the Buffalo Community Organizer for RAP, Donna Robinson. Hi, Donna. Hey, Jay. How are you? I am well, and I appreciate uh, you coming in to talk to us. There's a lot lot to talk about here for sure. Uh, you got, your website has a lot of facts. Let's just get into a couple of them. There are more than 31,000 people incarcerated in New York State prisons right now, the large majority of whom are black and Latinx uh, people. It costs New York between $120,000 to $240,000 annually to incarcerate one older person. Let's talk about what we know about what life is like for an older person in prison in New York State. Give us an idea what they might be experiencing. Oh, my goodness. Well, if you think about how the elderly survive outside, that's a cakewalk compared to what they experience in prison. First of all, um, medical treatment is slim to none. Most of the time it's none. Um, During the pandemic, when people were being diagnosed with COVID, the only medication that they prescribed was water and Tylenol. And sometimes you didn't get either either. Um, Now I have uh, friends, I call them, who are incarcerated, been there for 25, 30, 40 years. How old are they now, maybe? They're in their 60s, 70s. Um, they've, they've been there so long, you have to understand they're sleeping on a metal slab with a very thin mattress. The bodies have broken down. The shoes, they call them, uh, state boots. They give you a um, wardrobe when you come into the carceral system. The boots, they mess your feet up so that um, you won't even be able to wear regular shoes once you come home. Oof. The... Um, fact that you have to put in a call slip if you have if you're having a medical emergency and then wait for somebody to get back to you to let you know when you can be seen by a doctor it can take months to years and um you think about the women because we have three women's facilities in new york state the care that they get we are fighting now for something called the c-a-r-e-s the cares act okay and it was spearheaded by a former incarcerate named Serena Liguori out of New Hour, Long Island. She's the executive director now. She came home from prison after serving decades, and now she started her own organization. Well, this bill is in alignment with the women's issues, especially the pregnant women. Because don't think that, oh, if you're pregnant or if you get pregnant while you're in prison that, oh, that's a mechanism for release. No, you actually have your baby, 
and at Bedford Hills, they will let you keep your baby up to a year. Okay. So now you have to think about a woman's body, all the changes that it's going through, you know, proper care, the proper treatment, proper nourishment. That's another thing. So this bill would be empowering the women who are having babies to not suffer in silence, the uh, postpartum depression, which a lot of people who are on the outside have an issue dealing with. Just imagine it being exacerbated by being incarcerated. So what kind of changes would be offered if this act were to to, uh, be passed? What would make it, what would be different for a woman who's in one of uh, New York State's prisons? Well, first and foremost, you would get better medical treatment. That would be assured. That would be assured. Because then we can talk about this a little later on, that not, not sometimes that care for other people who are incarcerated doesn't come t- in a timely fashion. No, not But in only. this particular case, this change would ensure that? It would ensure that our pregnant women who come in there, they would be healthy, their experience, even though their reason for being there is traumatic, they would be able to deal with that trauma and it would not affect the baby. And then you've got to look at the part where, okay, you get to bond with your baby for a year, Mm -hmm. but then someone from your family, um, and if you don't have anybody, God forbid, uh, an outside agency comes and takes your baby away. Now you've got to deal with that. Bonding, and now you're being stripped of your child. And the, per, uh, the child might end up in a foster situation, right? Which, of exactly. course, is a troubled system yeah. in its own right. And then there's some women now that have adult children that, well, myself as an example, they have to leave their children with family members, sometimes elderly family members, sometimes distant relatives, whoever is willing to. So they become like foster children as well. And and that's a whole nother genre right there when you're dealing with, oh, I've had my mother for 30, 40, uh, 30 years, 15 years, and now all of a sudden my mom is gone. The father, he's probably already been taken out of the household, and you left the mother there to take care of the children. Now the mother's gone. Who's raising our children? I know for a fact, Siri, nor Alexa can raise mine. Right. You're, let's talk about your, your, your daughter. You brought her up, and she's at uh, Bedford Hills, which is downstate, correct? It's in Westchester County, the richest county in the 62 counties of New York State. And it's two women's facilities. Uh, Taconic is right across the street from Bedford. It's a medium facility. Bedford is the maximum and the only maximum facility for women in the state of New York. And they are now accepting uh, transgender Citizens who are incarcerated that want to have these sex change operations, so they have uh, transgender and the women um, all housed together. How long has your daughter been in Bedford Hills? My daughter's sentence was 15 to life. She's been in eight years. And I, I want to give her uh, Al Sharifa as her, uh, her name, uh, but we, we call her Missy. Uh, yes, because she found that at the age of five, nobody could pronounce or spell her name but her. Right. And uh, my mother actually gave her that moniker when she was born because, yes, she was one who couldn't pronounce or spell. So, Missy. And uh, Tell me about Missy. What's she like? Oh, my goodness. My daughter's beautiful. She's uh, hardworking. She's been working ever since she was 14. 
She went into the data entry program over at uh, BBTC East High School, where she started working after school in banks. Once she graduated, she got a full-time job working in the banking industry as a lockbox operator. Her last um, job at the bank was at HSBC, and they divested, as you know, around uh, 2015, 2014. And um, since her incarceration, and she's been working in Bedford Hills, she's held several positions, and she works at those jobs just like she did when she was out here in a secular world. Different pay scale, though. The pay scale. Let's talk about it. There's an organization, 13th Forward, we're trying to pass the bill to end slavery. Because in the amendment, it says that, in the 13th Amendment, it says that you will not be considered a slave unless you are a prisoner. So the wages that they pay for jobs for the DMV, for example, is maybe 24, 25 cents an hour. Mm. But when that person is returned to society because of that scarlet letter of conviction, they cannot go and get a job paying $25 an hour that they were being paid 25 cents an hour to do. And my daughter's been, um, she works in the state shop. And that's like when you first come into the facility, you get your uniform, your bedding, your coat, etc. So she gets to see everyone who comes through the gates of Bedford Hills. And when uh, before she started doing that, she was the visiting room porter. Now my daughter's five two, maybe a hundred and fifty pounds now, but she's always been petite. And imagine stacking up tables and chairs and mopping a big visiting room floor, and then you know it, for twenty four cents an hour. And she says, "Mom, you're giving me a raise. I, one of my jobs, I think, is twenty two cents." But you get the gist of it. Certainly, it's. Uh, modern-day slavery, and uh, a prison is a warehouse for slaves. You know, we, we're like black cotton inside. The, the amount of money that it costs to house individuals, if they would give them a fair salary, because they're taking our taxpayer money so that they can feed themselves, have money saved up, so when they come home they have more than that $40 bus ticket, so that they won't recidivate. Because this is one of the main reasons why people end up going back. They don't have a support system. So when they come home, they're hungry. Oh, I know people who are incarcerated because they stole a sandwich. Speaking of food, you told me an interesting story, and I want you to share it. You, can't, you have the opportunity to send Missy food. There are limitations, and there's an expense involved. Let's talk about that. Oh, my goodness. Well... Before, people are still under the assumption that your family could bring over food, you put it in a box, and you send it to your loved one. Contraire, mon frere. Mm. As of August, uh, two years ago, they cut out us sending in our own packages. Uh, we have to get food from what they call vendors. These vendors consist of former law enforcement. You have to go through a process to be approved. And most times, people like yourself or myself, we will not be approved. Why not? Well, because we're citizens and, oh, because we're not law enforcement. They think, oh, yeah, we might smuggle bullets in a cantaloupe because this was one of the scenarios. Somebody actually allegedly cut out an opening in a cantaloupe, stuffed it with bullets, and then put it back over. Um, 
I've been buying groceries for a long time, and the shelf life of a cantaloupe is not that long. Once you cut it, it's going to start rotting. Right. And the first thing that came to my mind, and maybe there's something wrong with me, but I don't think so. <laughs> what gun are they going to use these bullets in, and what cantaloupe did you put that gun in? So, you know, they make up these stories. And then they run with it. And if we don't speak up, and even sometimes when we do speak up, they're like, oh, well, what you say does not matter. We're going on what we have here. So now we have to order from different proprietors. I've tried maybe four or five. I've tried Amazon. Amazon, as you know, when you get packages, they send three different packages. Well, the stipulations are you can receive two, a possible three packages per month per individual, but they cannot weigh more than 40 pounds, and they have to be foods that are approved by the Department of Corruption. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's a little editorial opinion. That's all right, you though. You thought I was going to say correction. They're not trying to correct anything. Right. This system was designed to work just the way they wanted it, and it, it is. They're locking us up exponentially. And it's not, I don't feel safer. Right. And I, I don't, I want to make sure, because we can, we can go a lot of different places with this, but I want to make sure we get this one point. You said there's a type of bread that you can send your daughter. Yes. A Pepperidge Farm, if you buy that bread, you notice that the inside, there's a bag inside. Okay. Well, it's the way that the bag is sealed, because a lot of breads, they have two bags. Right. But it's the way the bag is sealed. Mm-hmm that they will only let you buy this particular brand. Okay. And you go to the store. I buy Pepperidge Farm. For me, it's $3.69, less than $4 a loaf. But through these vendors, it can be as high as 7 or more for a loaf of bread. A head of cabbage, $5.99. The shipping and handling can be from 30 to $41. It costs me $400 a month to send less than 40 pounds of food to my daughter. And knowing the individual that she is, she's going to share her food with somebody that might not have anything. And um, it, it's an expense. And if it's not many of us can even afford to spend that much money for groceries for ourselves to survive now imagine you sustaining a whole family and then taking care of people who are incarcerated and a lot of times there is more than one person in a family who's incarcerated so now you have to make a choice which child are you going to feed this month are you going to eat to me that that's inhumane right the, oh, oh, of course they can go to the mess hall Oh, but the food in the mess hall, sometimes it comes in labeled not fit for human consumption. Mm. And when they do cook it, you really don't think that they're going to be using seasoned salt and lemon pepper. And no, you can find uh, excrement from mice because rodents run rampant. Mm. Um, you can find pieces of wood, what have you in the food and to me mess that doesn't sound like somewhere where i want to go and eat right it's just me personally 
So I try and sustain, not only my daughter, I try to sustain her, but if she reaches out to me and tells me that there's women there or any other citizens there that don't have anybody to care for them, she'll be like, Mommy, you don't have to do so much for me, but if you can help these people. And in the beginning when she went in, I did. And it, I was spending a lot of money, maxing out credit cards, Amazon account. Oh, they were getting ready to cancel that um, just to try and help these people who had nobody else to care for. That's the type of uh, human being my daughter is. Even when she was home, she would help people, and I wouldn't even know who she would help. It was after incarceration that people came to me and said, you know, she paid my mortgage or she bought me food or she sent me packages with toiletries and things like that. Um, in her tenure working for the bank, she would always do the Jerry Lewis telethon. Uh, she would do the corporate challenges. for. She, she worked at M&T, Key Bank, um, Gold Dome before it became mm -hmm. M&T back in the day. So that's the type of human being. And she's my bright light. Uh, we used to do stand-up comedy, a couple open mic nights. She's funny. And she said when, I, uh, when she went to prison, she said, Mommy, you know you're really funny. You should still keep telling jokes. And I'm like, uh, you being incarcerated, I find that I don't have anything mm -hmm. to laugh about. But in these eight years, we laugh to keep from crying. That's what I say. I mean, things that you wouldn't think to be funny behind the wall, she tells me about them, and I actually have to crack up. Mm. So, you know, she's a wonderful human being, a great mother. The only thing she wants to do is come home, hold her grandbabies, and read to them. She didn't even care. She said, Mommy, if they gave me an ankle monitor and I could just come home and be home and eat your good cooking and play with my grandbabies, you know, that would be, that would be it for her. But um, I'm working on her clemency now. Uh, she said that they sent her packet in. So like a lot of other clemency applications, they're sitting on the desk, Kathy Hochul. She's got the power. When I tell you she can pick up a pen and sign any one of those applications and give somebody their life back. What, um, what, when it comes to that clemency application, what, what does it say? What does it say about your daughter that says this is why she should receive clemency? This was a year to compile this document. So with application, it's not like you're going to renew your driver's right. license or apply for the apartment. This is um, consisting of letters of support, people from the community that know her, that have a reentry plan, um, housing, where you're going to live, letters of support from her family, my mother, who's still alive, yes, Believe it or don't. Hi, Mama. I always wanted to say that. Uh, she's 86 years blessed, and um, she's waiting. She's, I don't know how much longer she says she can hold on, but she's waiting for her one of her favorite grandchildren to return to her. Uh, there's a video in there where she actually gets to speak and tell why it's imperative for her to come home. Uh, she's gotten an associate's degree last May. Uh, she she's got been, it while in, at while Bedford in prison. Hills? Wow. They have a program with Marymount College at Bedford where they send in the information. It takes a little bit longer. It's a process. But at least you're using your time wisely. And this was something she couldn't do when she was home. She worked. 
She worked from the age of 14, so college was not an option. She had a salary. When I couldn't take care of myself, she took care of me, her siblings. So now she's getting an education, but her health is failing. At 48 years old, before she went in, she had a stroke. So she had angioplasty, surgery. She had a heart murmur. and Now she's having female problems she's been dealing with for two years. And this is where I say the CARES Act and talking about um, health care for women. You know, she has a period that lasts two or three months, so much so that they had to take her out to a hospital for a blood transfusion only to bring her back. And then her period started again. Mm. So now they're taking her in and out, MRIs, testing. This has been going on for a year, over a year. So her body is breaking down from a woman who used to be able to go to the balls for the Masons and wear the stilettos. She can barely walk in the state shoes. Mm. Her, her, her back and her spine is breaking down from lying on that slab of, of metal, doing that hard work. And, and I tell her, that prison has been there, was there before you came. It's going to be there long after you've left. You cannot get up all the dirt, all the marks. You can't clean up the ilk that's in the walls, the women who have died there, the women from the woman from Buffalo, our citizen from Buffalo who died at Bedford Hills. Hmm. Who was that? Her name was Darlene Lulu, they called her, Benson Say. She comes from a large family here in Buffalo. Uh, the family was impacted ever since they, their parents uh, were killed. Uh, her, her mother was killed. And um, Lulu wouldn't hurt anybody. You would see her in the community, in the park, whatever. But she was convicted of a crime, and she served time in Bedford Hills. We were fighting for Lulu to come home. She was the first woman to die of COVID. Oh. They took her out because she had heart surgery. From what I understand, they sent her back right after the surgery. She contracted COVID. The individuals who were there with her, they tried to nurse her because, as I said, Tylenol and water was all they gave. They tried to nurse her back to health, but to no avail. It was too late, and she died in Bedford Hills. The, the the woman who died in Bedford Hills, Valerie Gator, she was the impetus for me joining. Right, yeah, that's right. We haven't talked about. It. Let me just reset just so everyone knows that this is Donna Robinson with me from the uh, uh, Release Aging People in Prison campaign. She's the Buffalo community organizer. Yeah, let's talk about um, uh, Ms. Gator. Uh, because, like you said, this is this was the reason why you got involved in this in the first place. Give me her story, please. Ooh, Miss Val—that's what everybody Ms. called Val. her. Okay. Her name was Valerie Gator. Um, she had been in Bedford Hills ever since she was 19 years old. Miss Val passed away in Bedford Hills at the age of 61. Mm. Her sentence was 50 to life. She wouldn't have been eligible for parole until she had served 50 years. She'd only served 41. She had to wait nine more. Every individual that came into Bedford Hills, she mentored them. She was there as long as one of the superintendents. 
Everybody was wondering, when is you? When are you going to go home? She was in every program, um, numerous jobs. The one particular job she held was the click-click or the photographer. This is when my daughter, Missy, met her. She took her under the wing. She could tell that, you know, you're not really familiar with this life. So this is what you're going to have to do in order to survive and make it out. Uh, she taught her how to take pictures. My daughter became the click-click then. Miss Val couldn't speak at times. She said uh, her throat was bothering her. They put her on a diet of soft food and told her she had GERDs or acid reflux. Well, you know, I have that too. Mm -hmm. I take some baking soda, water if I can't get Prilosec or what have you, burp, whatever, going about your business, but no. Miss Val was now uh, taking care of puppies for veterans, um, raising puppies and things, and... Um, they got her the special diet while she was there. And she was like, I, I'm not feeling good, you know. I can't talk. This is really hurting. They took her out. Two weeks later, on a particular uh, August 13th, I was visiting my daughter. And I'd been asking where Miss Bowers, my daughter's like, uh, they say she's sick. I haven't seen her in a while. I heard the officers talking on my way out and asking what was all the commotion that happened the day before. And uh, one of them, you know, they're mostly from downstate, so he said Gator died. And I'm like, oh, Lord, don't let him be saying Gator with that New York City accent. Mm. Before I could get to the train to get back to New York City, my daughter was calling, crying on the phone that Miss Gail, Miss Val had passed away. I was on my way back to Buffalo. No sooner than I got to back to Buffalo, they called and asked me if I, I would come to New York City and speak in front of the governor's office on Ms. Val's behalf because these bills that we're advocating for would have helped her. Uh, fair and timely parole, elder parole, she would have had a chance at a fair a parole hearing before she died of what was um, the coroner's report saying it was esophageal cancer mm. not GERDs not acid reflux. reflux but cancer of the esophagus this woman had suffered for over two years with that and if they she had medical proper medical treatment could have been caught but it's just the um the inhumanity of it so she suffered before she died she suffered you know, she suffered her whole life, uh, even up to the commission of this crime. It, it was pretty heinous. You had to be under the influence of some pretty psychotropic uh, drugs at the time, which she was. 360 degrees when I met her, the most sweetest, kindest person, and I would ask, what can I do for you? I would think that she would say, get me out of here. No. She asked for something as simple as a pineapple soda out of the vending machine, mm. a pair of sunglasses like I'd got my daughter, you know. So this was the jump off. I'd been dibbling and dabbling in criminal injustice because I'm no stranger. My grandmother had a son. I was doing prison visits at the age of five in a state penitentiary. Uh, my brothers, my children, and grandchildren. 
So this has been throughout generations, but it hit me when it became my daughter because inherently we don't think about women being incarcerated. Right. You think about somebody incarcerated. You think of a big man uh, uh, wearing a black and white striped outfit. You don't think about a woman. And there are women as old as my mother who are in Bedford Hills, and I see them. And knowing if they came home, what could you do? What would you do? And and then you got to look at the other side. Everybody is not guilty. Some signed a confession. Some were accomplices. I am an advocate with some of the most... I wouldn't trade these people for all the tea in China, I say. Uh, Laura Whitethorn, she's on the board of directors of, of RAP, Release Aging People in Prison. My uh, executive director, Jose Saldana, formerly incarcerated, member of the Young Lords, decades he spent. Now he's the head of an organization reaching back to save the people he left behind because he knows there's a lot of good people who've been ready and should be returned to the family. It's about family reunification. The family, you start breaking down the family structure, you got us. You got us. You, you've got the father. You've got the mother. You've got the children. So this is my my passion. I, I get loud. I get verbose. I get angry. Get and sad. then I get sad. And then I have moments of happiness when people that I've been advocating for fighting, finally, they've been given that you could go home. You get that letter saying you can go home. A lot of them say they don't know how to react because there's always a propensity for something to happen before the day comes when they can walk out that cell. And I advocate with people, a, a personal friend of mine, who we fought for clemency. She fought so hard, clemency for my for her husband to be returned home. He made it, got the letter the day that he was supposed to come home. They went to his cell and found him unresponsive. Mm. He never made it home. We are all grieving. We're grieving for the advocates that served time, came home, did the work, and passed away, waiting for their bills to pass to help others they left behind. And, you know, we've kind of gone off a little bit on the topic of clemency because clemency is one thing, and I know that's something we talked about. How yes. I think it's, it's something that, unfortunately, is saved for the holidays, and I think the governor— uh, provided clemency to 18 people uh, at this most recent holiday. But parole is, is really the, the major focus of uh, reform that, you, that you're looking for. Exactly. What needs to change inside the parole system? The parole board commission, we can start there. Mostly made up of law enforcement, former troopers, etc., attorneys, um, they're going to look at the piece of paper in front of them. Oh, she killed two police back in 1973. I was graduating high school back in 1973. You know, they say it, it takes 10,000 hours of doing the same thing before you become a professional at it or what have you. 
you've been in prison for as long as I've been out of high school. And you mean to tell me you haven't reformed? You're going to go back to this errant behavior? I don't think so. If you've been doing the programs that they allow you to do or that they have instructors to teach, if you've been rehabilitating yourself, looking at your surroundings, seeing the way that the carceral system is set up to know that, oh, no, I'm not going to fall into that trap. You have been working on getting free, but they don't see that in front of them. They don't see that that person that came in with that 19-year-old brain that wasn't fully developed is now 61 years old and spent the major part of their life. They don't see that. They see that 19-year-old that took those two police officers' lives, and I get it. A life is a life, and all lives matter, but the judge has already sentenced that person. It should not be left up to the parole board to keep perpetually punishing that person by hitting them with another two years. Okay, you came in at 15, doing a 15-year to life, so we're going to deny you. So now you're doing 17 to life. When you come back two more years and 19, that 15 to life can turn into 40 to life based on the commission of the crime. Because it's up to them to decide. It's up to them to decide, and that is the thing, the main thing that's never going to change. The worst day of your life where it took a split second for you to make a bad decision, before God got the message, you had committed that crime. And now these are the circumstances. This is what happened. And people get forgotten about. They slip through the cracks. There's some district attorneys that every time you're up for parole, they circulate negative uh, media. And this happened right here in Rochester in Monroe County. There was an individual in Coxsackie. His name was Robert James Moore. He committed a crime in 1963. I was eight years old. This man got a Ph.D., and you can only get that if you appeal to the head of department. And they say, okay, you can go ahead and get another degree. They'll let you have the other ones, but a Ph.D., you got to get special permission. This man started Buddhist Buddhism behind the wall. He can't get from his bed to a wheelchair when his wife comes to visit. He's been married to the same woman, faithful for 50 years. Yes, the crime he committed was egregious. It was harmful. But he took the initiative to let them even experiment on his brain to find out what was it that made him do this. The only thing that led him back to the fact findings was the fact that he worked around Monsanto fertilizers as a gardener all those years, and then this incident happened. Well, every year before the parole board, they would hit him and hit him because Sandra Dooley, the district attorney in Monroe County, would circulate negative propaganda emails, if you will, to anybody and everybody in Monroe County, especially the family, saying to write and make sure that he does not come home. This man, what is he going to do, come home and die? Finally, uh, last year, I believe in May, they said no more of this. The man can't do anything to hurt anybody. 
why keep him incarcerated and released him? But now he's in his late 80s, almost 90 years old. You shouldn't have to be incarcerated until you die. In other words, that life that's on the end of your sentence should not mean death. Mm. So this is why it's imperative that we get these bills passed. I mean, we've done everything that we can do. We've got all the co-sponsorship that we need. We just got to get them to the floor to vote. And then the governor sign and don't backpedal and, and veto like we know you can do. Because you're saving taxpayers' money and you're reuniting families, taking the burden, the propensity for that person to recidivate off the table. I know these people are not going to go back once they come home. And I find that the ones that they are releasing unmasked that don't have a support system, those are the ones who they keep looping the stories in the papers because, oh, yeah, this person, we released them on parole, and now they've reoffended and they're locked up. Well, did that person have a community to welcome them back? Did they have a family to welcome them, some place to live, proper medical treatment? Some of them need medication because even though they're in there for drug offenses, they're still getting drugs. So how are you rehabilitating people? And this is why I say it's not the Department of Correction. You're not correcting anything. Stay with us. There's more to come. This is What's Next on WBFO. Did you know that WNED-PBS is always working on great new local shows for you to watch? Documentaries like Kleinhand's Gift to Buffalo, which tells the story of Buffalo's music hall. The hall is very intimate. And that intimacy makes everyone who comes in here feel a part of our family. Fun and educational series like Compact Science. Believe it or not, peppers are technically fruits. And Shakespeare's greatest hits featuring some of his best-known soliloquies and monologues. We are such stuff as dreams are made of. You can watch them all on our website at wned.org slash local shows. While you're there, check out the show pages and many websites for additional content such as bonus features, photo galleries, and lesson plans. Find it all at wned.org slash local shows. Join WBFO every Saturday at 6 p.m. for an insightful and enlightening series of audio documentaries from our region that tackle topics such as the environment, health, the world of entertainment, and more. Listen to the WBFO DocuHour every Saturday at 6 p.m. right here on WBFO, your NPR station. Watch great videos produced by your public media stations online. Find Buffalo Toronto Public Media on YouTube and check out interviews by our WNED classical hosts, original productions from WNED PBS, and so much more. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using whatsnext at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We're coming down to our final few minutes here with uh, 
Donna Robinson of RAP, Release Aging People in Prison. She is the Buffalo Community Organizer. We talked uh, about uh, Missy Al-Sharifa, your daughter, who is in Bedford Hills, um, and you're seeking clemency. She would be eligible for parole when? Seven more years. And I can't even see that far ahead, you know. I hope I make it, but then if I don't, I know there's a lot of um, people out here that are invested and have skin in the game, that have heard my story, that I believe they will still fight. Uh, I've lost a son. It was a tragically took car accident in Florida, rollover accident, 2022. Sorry to hear that. So I know what it's like to lose a child, a loved one. Um, I just can't see going through that again, especially under these circumstances, when I know that there are people out here that have the power to change the trajectory of so many, so many people's lives, not just here in Western New York. Um, I was on a committee for no new jails. They're they they want to build a new jail, and we know who they're building them for. They're not building them for you, me. They're building them for our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, children that we will never know. And so... I just can't sit by and watch these things happening and not do anything because I feel like my ancestors, you know, my grandmother did this. She's expecting more from me, and I'm expecting more from myself. I've been fighting all my life, so this is no different from any fight I've ever taken on. This is just one that's... Uh, it's it's draining mentally, physically, financially, spiritually. And um, I just need a lot of help, especially in Buffalo. I know I can't be the only one who's got a loved one, a family member incarcerated for whatever reason. Um, we still can't forget. We cannot forget about the least of our citizens. What does that say as us being a, a city of good neighbors or or having compassion for our fellow man, or even being Christians, you know. You talked about support systems. I want to also make sure that we talk about how you are supporting Missy's family currently. Well, I am, um, they live with me, uh, some of her children, most, the majority of her children, her grand, all of her grandchildren live with me. I have to take care of her and anyone in prison who she says they might need a little help. I'll try and do what I can for them. My mother's still living. Sometimes I have to help her out. Um, I have a nephew. His mother, my sister, is dead. So he's incarcerated, looking at 25 to life. I take phone calls. I reach out to any individuals that might be able to help give resources. People in the community that have loved ones that contact me and say, listen, my child is here, my husband is here, my mom is here, and I can't get to them. I have no transportation. If I'm able, I will take them in my vehicle personally, or I will find a way to get someone to go and check on them. 
if they've been abused, there's agencies and people that can go inside now. I work with the UB Law Center, a very dedicated brother, Jerome Wright. Jerome Wright. Formerly incarcerated himself. I, I you know, I can't say enough great things about him. And if not people only, wanted proof of what a life in prison can do for somebody, Jerome Wright's a, a good Jerome example. Jerome Wright is a poster child, and this is why I go as hard as I do, because I know that out of the 30,000 people that are incarcerated, there's 10,000 minimum, like Jerome Wright, who need to be home with their families. He hasn't stopped working since his feet hit the ground. Anything I ask him to do personally, professionally, He's out there with the UB Law School. Uh, Jose Saldana, my executive director, came up a couple months ago. We had a screening of the interview, which is a very good uh, movie. It, it's on YouTube, and it shows the interview process of going before the parole board, how they keep asking you questions about the crime that you committed and not asking you questions about who you are right now. And that, I, off the top of my head, Thomas Gant, you know, another one, formerly incarcerated for decades, come home. Now he's teaching University of Rochester. He is out here in the community. And we need to bring so many more of them back into the community to stop. That's the only thing that's really going to stop the violence. That's the only thing. The kids are running rampant. They don't know what direction to go, so they look to social media. And it was intended to be a good thing, but somehow it's gone off the rails where it's like a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah and the whole world has gone crazy. This is why I know Siri and Alexa cannot raise our children. We have to be back in the household. We have to be home. And this is a burden because of my age. I... They t children now say, oh, parents don't understand us. And I say, oh, no, you don't, under you don't understand our parents because we were raised differently. Work ethic. My mother said education is paramount. You don't have time to get into devilment or trouble if you've got a book in your hand if you're doing something constructive, learning a skill, the basic skills now that you need, financial skills, housekeeping skills, how to get a job, how to even dress for a job, these things, you should be, you should be fighting to learn that instead of fighting for whatever it is that's not going to do anything but get you behind the eight ball. So we in the community, we want to get out. We want to teach the old-fashioned uh, things, teach you how to can your own vegetables. We're in a food desert. Teach you how to be sustainable, how to raise your children without yelling or cursing at them. You know, Try alternatives to the way that you were ingrained on how to do things because we've been doing these things over and over again the same way, and we're not getting anywhere. To me, that's quite asinine. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but we've got to grease the wheel, and we've got to make it functional. And the only messengers who are credible messengers are the ones who we've been locked up, who we locked up for decades and decades.
I can't express that enough. So finally, your call to action for the people who are listening right now, what do you want them to do? I want them to contact me, uh, contact RAP. We're on uh, the web. We have our own website. You can find out about events uh, coming up in a couple weeks across New York State. Because of the Valentine's Day, we're going to have a heart, Kathy Hochul. You can call your legislators. You can call your assembly people. You can call your council members. You don't have to get out here and do what I'm doing. You don't have to tell your story. You don't have to march or rally. But you can pick up a phone. You're using it for Facebook. You can share an event. You can say, listen, I heard this. Is this really the way things are? Because if it is, I want it to stop now. We have a voice. And I didn't realize how much a voice I had until I went to Albany and went inside the Capitol building. When you walk in there and you look at all the gold and the marble and you think this was built on the backs of black and brown people of color. I own this. They work for you. That person that you elected works for you. So you can call them and you can have a conversation. You don't have to be disrespectful. You don't have to yell. You don't have to go. Just have a conversation like you're talking to your best friend. Don't you think something is wrong with this? Don't you think we could do something better about this? And don't you think we can get the governor to look at those applications? Sign them one a day, Kathy, like you take a vitamin. I'm imploring that you get this committee together. Let them look through those. I know it's got to be a 1,000 applications because Cuomo left some there. And if you think that at holiday time uh, letting a few people go is what, fair, humane, think about it again. And I was so upset at this last, uh, when she did the commutation, one woman one woman, she gave a commutation sentence. She's got to do better, and we've got to demand that she does better. Um, she's representing Western New York, but I don't feel like she's representing Western New York to her full capacity, and I just want her to take a look. I know it's not sexy. It's not, you know, you're going to have some pushback. But anything worth fighting for, it's, it's worth the trouble. And this is worth fighting for, another human being. That's all. I think I already know the answer to this final question. Do you have hope this is going to change? Yes. And uh, that song by Sam Cooke, A Change Is Gonna Come, that's my mantra. That's my theme song. You know, as I said, my grandmother, she marched with Dr. Martin Luther King in her lifetime. Now I'm her age, and I am still fighting. I've got to have hope that in my great-grandchildren's lifetime that things will change. It's about systemic racism, the bottom line. You can call it what you want. And up here in western New York, we are combated with that every day every day so we have to ask for what we want and not stop until we get it this organization rap is the only one that fights for our elders the only one that fights for our senior citizens when you're young you don't think about 
what it's going to be like down the road when you get older. Some of us, we hope that we don't even make it that far. But to those of us who survive, being a senior is no joke. It's no joke. And the fact that I get up every day, one foot in front of the other, fighting for people who I might never meet. But when I go places, they're like, oh, I heard you. I know who you are. I did. Get involved. That's all. Because your voice is your most powerful weapon that you have. Your stories are very powerful. And you told me one other story, and I want to make sure we get this on, about driving up Bedford Hills is across from the Taconic uh, facility, which is a medium security facility. Yes, but Westchester County, if you Google it, it's over 350 miles from here. Across from the maximum facility of Bedford, there's the medium facility of Taconic. The other medium facility is up here in Albion. And as um, soon as you drive up the driveway to Taconic, you, when you look to the left, you can see the graveyard. Over 100 weather-worn old tombstones of women who came and never got the chance to be released to their families. They were discharged to a graveyard. And their graveyards at all of the facilities. And it shouldn't have to be that way. It should not have to be that way where your loved one is interred in a cemetery behind a correctional facility. I've got to leave it at that, Donna. Um, I so appreciate your time. Uh, if you can, give your best to, uh, to Missy. We're thinking about her, and uh, all the I must you must be in contact with lots of other people who are incarcerated as well. And they must uh, they must get some uh, some hope from the work of you and your and your organization as well. I would think. Yes, um, I thank you for having me here today, Jay, and endearing me because I can be quite loquacious. Um, I love loquacious. Well, okay. I love loquacious, too, because a closed mouth doesn't get fed. At least that's what I've always heard. <laughs> but I shall give her regards. And, again, if um, you can do anything in your power, your listeners, to contact the legislators and tell them to come on and get on board with elder parole, fair and timely parole, uh, 13 forward. There's so many bills out here, the CARES Act, the, um, the clemency uh, I have an advocate in uh, in Rochester who's our clemency director for RAP, where you can, if you don't know anything about clemency, you can come online, you can find out, see what you can do if you have relatives that you know have been in there for decades and need this process started now or never. Because, as I said, it took a whole year to compile this um, information. We were blessed to be... Um, aligned with Steve Zeidemann out of uh, Columbia University in New York. He had his two students to ingratiate themselves into our family. We feel like they're family members. It, it's a process. It's long. But in the long run, it's worth it. You know, I would give anything and everything that I have. I've said this more often than not because I'm in this for my life. This is my life right here. And I would give it all if I could just have my daughter home to be with her family again.
Donna Robinson, thanks very much for being with us. This has been What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOL at Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.